The sermon title is called Five Crowns Today. And I'm going to talk about the five crowns of reward that Jesus talks about in the New Testament. And the reason I want to show, because in the Bible, the word crown, in a lot of translations where Paul has said, I'm striving for a crown, it's the Greek word stephanos, which means a victory wreath, an athletic crown, like in the games of the Olympics. And Paul is going to use a a term like an athlete, like a boxer, where he is beating his body, getting ready to win the prize that Jesus has laid up for him. But he's going to use the athletic games as an analogy, and that's why I wanted to show that. Little Princess Wonder Woman is a girl. She thinks she's going to win. Now, I cut some of the clip down because it was like seven, eight minutes long, and it was very long. But she gets on the horse. She starts shooting all the arrows, and she, but she gets hit in the head, and she misses one of them. That's why the blue thing was still left. And she takes the short path is what she said, and she cheated to get to the end. And that's why her mother or superior, whoever she was, pulled her off and said, you are going to compete according to the rules. Now, I have a scripture for that. 1 Corinthians 9.25. Every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. This is talking about here in life. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, means a crown that will fade away. But we, an incorruptible This is the first crown that I'm going to bring up today in the Bible. It's called the crown of incorruption. Let me read what this crown is. The crown of incorruption is referred to in 1 Corinthians 9.25. Paul describes this is a special crown that will be given to believers, the people that believe and practice uh, physical self-governance. Therefore, they ran a successful race in life. They practice self-discipline. They refuse to let their flesh hinder their race of faith and they can look forward to receiving this precious crown. This is going to be 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. I'm going to read this in the Amplified Translation. And I do this for the sake of the good news, the gospel, in order that I may become a partaker and share of its blessings among with you. Do you not know that in a race all runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run your race that you may lay hold of the prize and make it yours. Now, every athlete who goes into training conducts himself temporarily and restricts himself in all things. That means he's going to make a lot of sacrifices in his diet and his body and his time in order to win. They do this to win a wreath, or this is the word, some translations, crown or Stephanos, an athletic wreath that will soon wither, but we do it to receive a crown of eternal blessedness that cannot wither. It's the first crown. Therefore, I do not run with uncertainty, without a definite aim. I do not box like one beating the air and striking without an adversary. But like a boxer, I'm going to buffet my body. I'm going to handle it roughly. I'm going to discipline it by hardships and subdue it for fear that after proclaiming to others the gospel and things pertaining to it, I myself should become unfit, not to stand the test, be unapproved, and rejected as a counterfeit. So even in Paul's race, he's saying, I could even become rejected of a counterfeit. And so he's saying, I'm shooting my aim to hit the mark. And so that's why I thought it was kind of cool that they were shooting the bows and arrows, trying to hit the marks and hit all the plates. And then they got to put the the, uh, javelin through the big circle. So in the uh, Olympic Games started in 700 B.C., and the first thing they started with was like a 200-meter or 200-yard dash. 
and they did it for 13 games, and then they eventually started adding other things to it, like the javelin throw, the boxing, and I'm going to read some of that. But Paul is talking about my spiritual race. Most Christians don't even understand they're in a spiritual race. They don't even understand what it, for the will of God for their own life. And so he's saying here, I'm handling, I want this called the crown of incorruption. I want this crown and all the beatings that Paul took and all the things that he went through and the adversaries. I mean, it says at one point he had, I don't know if it was 100 or 200 men, said that they wouldn't even eat until Paul was dead. And Paul was beaten with rods. It says that they beat his uh, legs with rods till he couldn't walk no more. Paul was shipwrecked on a number of occasions. Paul was left a day and the night in the deep. Paul went through so many things in his life. It says that he went, uh, he was uh, whipped. And it says that, uh, I think it was on two or three different occasions. And Rick Renner says it was a total of 585 lashes with glass and bone and things in it. And so they would rip the flesh off of Paul, preaching the gospel. But he says, that's not going to stop me from completing what God has for me. He said, I'm in a race to win. How many of us really treat our spiritual walk with God like we're in a spiritual race for the race of our lives? And he's saying what the way I'm treating this race is like an Olympic athlete. And so during the church of Smyrna, he was talking to them in the book of Revelation about this because they were going undergoing very heavy persecutions and trials. And Paul is saying, you're doing good. You're, you're on a race. Don't don't worry about what's happening to you right now. This is only temporary, and I'm going to read that. But this is the first crown. I'm going to go over the other four crowns real quick because at the end, uh, I'm not going to teach on the other crowns. I want to teach on the first crown, which is the kind of the will of God for your life. But I want to read the other ones to you just so you have an idea that there's more crowns. The crown of rejoicing is first found in Thessalonians 2.19. It's often referred to as a soul winner's crown. This crown is referred to by theologians as a soul winner's crown for those who brought people to Jesus. Oh, what the joy of the Christian will experience when they receive this crown of rejoicing as a soul winner's crown. This is Rick Renner talking about this. And if you know Rick Renner, he studies all the Greek and the Hebrew and breaks every word down. And it's fun to get into the deep of, of that. Bob Yenian's another person that I've been studying in his commentaries. He said he believes that the crown of uh, joy, because there's different scriptures, because uh, Philippians 4.1 says, My brethren whom I love and yearn to see, my delight and my crown, my wreath of victory. This is the Amplified. So he's saying that they're my brethren, uh, the Philippian church, who that I've yearned to see, my delight, I mean, their growth and who they are, they're, he says, they're, they are my crown. That this, the Philippian church is my crown. And so Bobby Andean says that the crown of rejoicing could be a person who is helping other people come to maturity. So people who are helping those grow in the Lord could also receive in the crown of rejoicing. So Rick Renner says it's a soul winner's crown. Bobby Andean saying there's enough scriptures to say that it's also a crown for those who are helping believers mature, helping people grow, discipling people, creating disciples. That's the second crown. It's called the crown of rejoicing. So you have the incorruptible crown, person who finishes their race, they put their flesh under and they run full force ahead for what God's called them. The crown of rejoicing is for that you're helping believers grow in the Lord or you're winning the loss to the Lord. The next crown is uh, the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8. This is a crown that's designated for those who long for Jesus' appearance and live holy lives in anticipating his return. And I'm going to read this in the Amplified Translation, 2 Timothy uh, 
as to what it remains henceforth, there is laid up for me the victor's crown of righteousness for being right with God and doing right, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me and recompense me on that great day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved and yearned and welcomed at his appearing, or yearning for Jesus' appearing coming back. And so those who long for Jesus' appearance, they're ready for him, they're waiting for him, they they're obviously were righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross, but he says that they're also living righteous and holy lives as waiting that, hey, Jesus is coming. It says that... Um, as Jesus, as the time gets closer to his return, we should be looking up, waiting for him and expecting his return, taking uh, every moment, getting ready, get, winning people to the Lord. This, and I'm, I forget what scripture that is, but it does talk about that we should be um, waiting for him and, and um, looking for him. And so that is called the crown of righteousness. And I'm sure we could go deeper on a study of that. And um, let's see. So Paul, before his own death, before he was beheaded, he was not focused on that he was about to be executed, but about the glory that was coming for him for completing his race and a crown of righteousness. The next crown will be called a crown of glory. It's referred to in 1 Peter 5, 4. This is called the pastoral crown, a special reward for those given to shepherds who faithfully pastored um, God's own flock. When the chief shepherd is revealed, you will win the conqueror's crown of glory. So 1 Peter 5 talks about the qualifications of a pastor, what he must do and how he must act, how he must live his life. And, you know, I wonder, like, you know how David said that the people who go in the front and those who stay in the rear will receive the same reward? And it takes a lot of people to do a pastoral job. I mean, this church runs off of a lot of people. I don't know this for sure, but I wonder if the pastoral crown will be for also the people who helped serve in the ministry, serve in the local church, helping the pastor, because it takes more than just me, dad, and mom to run this church. So, there, you know, that's just a speculation. We, the Bible, um, I probably could do a deeper study on, on this. Uh, this one's called the crown of glory. And then the next crown is called the crown of life, James 1.12 and Revelations 2.10. So James 1.12 is blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which is the Lord has promised to those who loved him. Revelations 2.10. To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, these things I say, the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those who call themselves Jews, but they are not. They are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear those which... You are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. You would have tribulation 10 days, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. This refers to as the martyr's crown, because it was given to those who suffered for their faith and to those who died for Christ, those who are committed to finishing the race of faith regardless of the difficulties they encountered. So this crown is for people who undergo persecution. It doesn't really say what kind of persecution, but they suffer for their faith. Uh, some will be murdered and martyred for what they believe. And the churches, um, I think, I forget, there was a stat of, I think, like 2 million people or 200 million people. Rick Renner was talking about how many have suffered for, for, the, for the Christian faith. And so every year, 
millions of people are suffering for what they believe in, especially overseas. You got China, Iraq, Iran, the underground churches where they're suffering for what they believe in. He's saying this crown is laid up for those, and this one is called the crown of life. And even Rick was saying that you might even suffer uh, at your job where, you know, you, you make a stand for Jesus for what you believe, that you're not going to hang out with certain people, you're not going to go certain places, and people ridicule, ridicule you for that and cause you to suffer. The church of Smyrna was, um, he says, to the angel of the church, which means the messenger of that church in the, the Greek translation. So the pastor of the church of Smyrna write these things, the first and the last, was who was dead and came to life. So if you read, uh, when I was reading Rick's book on it, he said, Jesus said, I was dead, but I'm now I'm back. He said, it was a small hiccup to the plan of God, but now it's over. He said, I died and now I'm back. He said, so if you die and come back, it's only going to be a short thing for what's to come. So don't even worry about it if, if they kill you. So like the Bible says, don't be afraid of the, the man who can try to destroy the body, but fear God who can destroy both the body and soul into hell. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the first and the last. I was dead and now I'm back. And this is in, kind of in the, he's taking all the Greek words and breaking them down. He said, I know your works. Now, when I study this in the Greek, there's a lot of Greek words, but I'm going to give you the synopsis of it because I'm not Rick Renner and I'm not going to pronounce all this stuff. He said, I've personally showed up to your church. I've personally walked around and I see the deeds that you're doing and I know what you've been doing. I've, it hasn't been, uh, a message was not given to me by an angel, by anybody else. I personally showed up and I'm watching your works. I know what you're doing. I know the labor of love that you're putting in. I know how that you are reaching people. And so this is what Jesus is saying. I know your tribulation and poverty. So he says this word tribulation and poverty is kind of the same word, but he said it's a deep, deep, deep poverty. He said it's even deeper than a slave's poverty. The church of Smyrna was um, so under persecution during that time because obviously the pagan that Rome had not taken over yet and declared Christianity kind of the official religion. But the church, early church, Rick Renner says, was mainly slaves and poor people because that was what, they, they had nothing else but to come to Jesus. And the pagan society was ran by, they called them guilds or like workers' unions, sort of, but it's not a workers' union. And a guild was in the pagan workplace in Smyrna, if you, in order to be in the workplace, you had to do what they did, or you're not accepted. You got to come to the meetings, and the meetings would start with a sacrifice, a pagan practice. They started, they did orgies, they did all kinds of uh, just sinful things that the church said we're not going to be involved in. And because of that, they were persecuted and kicked out. And the pagans believed, because of prosperity, that their God was happy with them. And that because the Christians were poor, that they were outcast to society. Some of them killed, brought into the streets, very persecuted time. And so uh, Rick Renner has that big book called Light in the Darkness that goes into all the, the seven churches of Revelation and the messages that went to them. But he's telling them to hold fast. He said, I know your works in tribulation, your deep poverty. And uh, the tribulation and the poverty, he said, was almost like, he said, uh, like the Romans used to put a boulder over a, a person caught in a crime and would drop that boulder one inch at a time until that person recanted on their crime and said, you know, I confess that I did this crime. And if they didn't confess, they kept dropping the weight until it ultimately crushed them. And Jesus is saying, because he says these, these words like tribulation, he said, I know the great crushing weight that you are under. 
I know the deep, deep poverty. He's, and the poverty was, he says, they were scrounging around for food. They had no work. They were digging in garbage cans looking to eat. They were banding together because the church was so poor. But he says, but you are rich. So riches can go beyond more than just material things. Jesus is saying, I've personally seen this. I've personally seen how you're treated. He said, but you are rich. I mean, if Jesus calls you rich, then you're rich. And so he said, um, I know the blasphemy of those who are Jews and they're not the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is going to throw some of you into prison. You'll be tested. You'll have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. No matter what happens in our life, the biggest thing Jesus says, I want you to be faithful. Faithfulness is a big thing to God. Faithfulness to the end, no matter what happens. Now, American church, we don't really go undergo this type of persecution because we started this land as a God-fearing land. And as we've fallen, we have seen the persecution arise, especially amongst believers and amongst the church. I mean, during COVID, you saw they were shutting churches down, especially up north. They were just cracking down hard on them. And then in Canada, the one pastor who was repeatedly thrown in jail. But we haven't seen any of that here. Yeah, we took some heat from our city for staying open because it's our God-given right to stay open. But we have not seen the persecution like some of these churches have gone. But he's saying, there's a crown laid up for you called the crown of life. And so um, I want to, crowns are different than rewards in the fact that a reward um, at the judgment seat of Christ, he says, I will repay each one to what he has done. Or Revelations 22, 12, you don't have to go there. Behold, I'm coming soon and I'm bringing my recompense or my reward with me to repay each one for what he's done. Luke 12, he just says, sell your possessions to give to those in need. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven. And, and the purses of heaven, this is the New Living Translation, so ladies, you might be getting a purse in heaven. <laughs> Never gets old or develops holes. Amen. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal. No moth can destroy. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Jesus is saying this. This life is temporary. Some of us, we know, I know I'm 33 now, and it's like that. And I'm sure some of you older say, amen, it happens quick. I, this, but dad says the other day, I was just a young man marrying your mother. And it was like we turned around and now we're older. And so we know there's another life coming. We know there's a time with Jesus is going to be eternal. And so we know that we're not to store up. Yes, we believe we're blessed, we're prosperous, we're taken care of. But our focus should not be just uh, on Monday through Friday to what our job is. But we have, there's an eternal reward. There's a day coming. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which is translated the Bema seat. Now, the great white throne judgment will be where sinners will stand, what they did with Jesus. But the, the Bema seat of Christ or the judgment seat just means a judge who will declare an eternal verdict is what I was reading John Bevere's book as he said is what that means. And so once the judge declares an eternal verdict, that's what it'll be forever. And so what you did with your life, how you lived, whether or not you served the Lord and what you did, now we're saved by grace through faith. But he says, but because we love God, we do good works, that they'd be seen before all men. And so Paul is going to use an Olympic-style athletic competition to describe his spiritual walk with God and how we should obtain. The reason he does that is because he wants, you will be openly seen before other men how your race is running, right? People can see your life. 
and it should encourage other people to get in the race. It should encourage, when they see you winning and they see, what I mean, even though you go through hardships and trouble, but they'll see that you come out on top, that you're victorious through Jesus, then it causes them to want to get involved in their own race of their life. Most Christians have, don't have any idea that they're in a race. And so let me read um, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. So this is the crown of incorruption. This is the first one. I just wanted to read to you what the other crowns were just to show you there's more crowns in the Bible. So there's crowns and there's rewards. So um, how you'll hold on to those for eternity, I don't really know. What, you know, whether uh, the victory wreaths were a wreath that went over like the Greeks' head when they would win, they weren't like a high material possession, but what it was honor for the rest of their years in society. It, I mean, it's like an Olympic athlete. If you, I was telling the first service, if everybody knows who Michael Phillips was and that he won the, the swimming championship. And so for the rest of his life, he could be on any commercial advertising, any catalog cereal box because he won the Olympics at some point in his life. And so that's what Paul is going to be talking about, like a runner running a race. And he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, and I do this for the sake of the good news, the gospel, in order that I may be a partaker in it and share in the same blessings along with you. Do you not know that in a race all runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run your race that you may lay hold of the prize and make it yours. Now every athlete who goes into training conducts himself te- uh, temperate and restricts himself in all things. They do this to win a wreath that will soon wither. But we do it to receive a crown of eternal blessedness that cannot wither. That's what the incorruptible crown means. It'll never corrupt or ever go away. Therefore, I do not run with uncertainty, without a definite aim like a boxer, without an adversary. But I buffet my body. I handle it roughly. I discipline it by hardships and subdue it for fear that after I proclaim the gospel to others, I wouldn't be a castaway. So I read that already. But I want to get back into this. So Paul is saying that my spiritual race, I'm, teach, I'm treating it like I'm an Olympic athlete. That means I'm the, everything I'm getting from God, I'm going to get it with all my might. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to train. I'm going to make sure that like an athlete is training uh, to win a prize, I'm training that same way spiritually to obtain this other crown. So Paul would have been like the spiritual Christian Olympics, you know, studying the word of God, finding out the will of God for his life, praying, reading, whatever God had called him to do, he said, I'm going to treat it like I'm training for the Olympics. That's what he's saying. How many of us want to train like that on a daily basis? Amen, Sister Tiffany said. Mm-mm. I mean, <laughs> you know, it took me a long time just to start waking up at 530 in the morning. And then in, I, you know, I can't even get into the gym unless I got like two scoops of pre-workout. And then after that, I want to lay down and take a, take a nap and drink a protein shake. I mean, I'm not cut out to be an Olympic athlete. I'm doing everything I can just to, you know, stay in my weight class and not gain weight and not get up and everything's hurting and tired. And you know what I mean? It, it's definitely, it's hard, right? It, I mean, you got a meal prep. I got a meal plan. And I'm not even training for anything. I'm just trying to stay healthy so that when I'm 60, I can still walk around and teach and preach and climb, and climb mountains like that and go hunting. But Paul's saying, I'm, I'm so serious about the call of God in my life that, that you can categorize me in the Olympics. I'm training harder. He even says that in um, one of his scriptures. He says, uh, Paul, he said, I was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. You think I knew, I knew more than everybody else. I studied more than everybody else. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees, the top. 
And even that was before Jesus, he was doing that. And then he took that same attitude and applied it, wrote two-thirds in the New Testament. I mean, he literally turned the world upside down to even to today, people are still teaching the words of Paul every Sunday. But that's how he treated his life. And imagine if Jesus slacked off a little bit and said, I don't feel like waking up and praying today. Oh, Lord, well, we're, we're, I don't want to feed these people today. I don't want to minister to them today. Lord, I got to take a two-week vacation from these disciples. <laughs> I'm just saying, just, it's kind of funny, but just imagine Jesus not taking seriously the call of God on his life. And we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have the cross. We wouldn't have redemption. We wouldn't be saved from eternal fire if Jesus hadn't taken the call of God serious. If he went out there tempted for 40 days by the devil, and he said, I quit. I'm tired of this devil, tired of being out here. I can't eat. I'm hungry. I hate fasting. You know what I mean? We kind of laugh now, but it's what if Jesus wasn't serious about the call of God? Oh, Jesus was real serious. He says that I'm like a goat taken out to the slaughter. Like where the Holy Spirit put a rope around his neck is what the typology was in the Old Testament. They would drag a goat out to sacrifice it. It's the same analogy as them taking Jesus, putting a rope around his neck. The Holy Spirit took him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus didn't have any say. He just said, I'm here to do the will of my Father. Everything I do see and say is for the will of my Father. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Praise the Lord. So Paul is, is talking about a, um, he's not talking about a royal crown, but a garland, Stephanos. And so I want to talk about what this crown is. It is the imagery of a type of crown that was very pertinent for believers who live in Smyrna. They understood the athletic competitions. It was an important part of Smyrna. And placing a garland crown around the head of a champion it was familiar. Everybody knew what it meant. Every athlete prepared and trained in one of their competitions, and they were highly regarded. Uh, there were special honor given to those who, who would uh, finish victoriously. And so um, at the end of a race, a winner was declared, and a crown was placed in the champions made of pine olive branches and leaves. Although the crown wasn't made of expensive material, it was highly valued as a public recognition of skill, commitment, discipline, endurance, self-control, self-mastery, and a training that had enabled the athlete to win the competition. Being awarded the victor's crown brought a person great acclaim, honor, and respect in the eyes of the adoring public. Therefore, it was every athlete's chief aim to obtain this crown. This is the crown that Jesus is saying for those who finish the race and do it according to the rules, they'll receive this type of crown. And then it says that in Revelations 2, Jesus says, I will personally give this crown. If we have Revelations 2, I, I like to read that. But imagine that. It's, it's people, I mean, everyone in the public wanted this type of reward because it was a, a claim. It was, it was to the rest of their life they were going to be treated like royalty. And it wasn't an expensive crown. It was just a wreath that was put around their head. But what did, what did it say? It said that person paid the ultimate price. Every four years, they trained and trained and trained and trained to be the winner. And once they won, nobody could ever deny of their success and what they've done. And even into our Olympics today, there's many people that are still remembered for what the, they've done and what they've accomplished. And so, um, fear nothing that you're about to suffer. Dismiss your dread and your fears. Behold, the devil is indeed... Uh, at the very end, he says, I will give you the crown of life. And so Rick Renner says, what this means is when it says I will, he's saying that in the Greek, it means that Jesus personally 
at the reward ceremony will personally be handing you the crown of life for those who finish the race and accomplish the will of God successfully. And so I thought that was kind of cool that it wasn't going to be just somebody else placing it on your head. I mean, imagine Jesus standing in front of you saying, well done, thy good and thy faithful servant. And so Paul is um, comparing his walk with the Lord and his race like an Olympic athlete and how he's training himself. And, and to me, it was very, um, very humbling for myself to read some of the stuff because I don't think that I'm training my spiritual walk with God like an Olympic athlete. Uh, I'm, I could do a lot more to categorize that, how much I'm reading, studying, finding out what God's will is for my life. Well, how do you know the will of God? First, you must be born again. Then he said, get filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he said, if I'm going to even trust you with spiritual things, i got to trust you with the unrighteous mammon. Do you tithe? Do you give to a church? Do you have a shepherd? The Bible says, uh, without a shepherd, sheep go astray. And so you can get in all kinds of deception without a shepherd. Now, even shepherds have shepherds. I have Pastor Mark and people in my life and accountability that look at me and say, this is wrong or make a correction or you're doing great. And people that shepherd us. And so... That's, and, and as you kind of get deeper in the word, you find out, like he said, unless a person strives lawfully, which means according to the word, he will not win the prize. And so I wonder how many people think, well, I'm just going to skip church my whole life. Do you think they're going to get the crown of life? Here it says you must compete according to the rules. What did Jesus say? He says, don't forsake the assemblings of yourself, as some have a habit of doing like in Hebrews chapter 4, but do it more so as you see that day approaching. That was words from Jesus. And so how do you, so that you're going to have to compete. Uh, and I, and I, a friend of mine said, well, I'll do it just for Jesus. It, I'll the li- live the way Jesus asked me just for him. And I agree with that. The, what, the price Jesus paid, I will live for him. But another thing, I like rewards. I'm competitive. Right, Willis? You like to lose at football? Yeah, Exactly. There's something in us where God put something in us where we like to win. We like to compete. I've been in soccer. I've been in karate. I played baseball growing up, and I didn't like to lose. I used to come home, and I took a tennis ball every day after school, and my dad had a wood carport, and I'd take that tennis ball and throw it at a dot on that um, carport, and it would bounce back. And he said, if you look at the dot, because this was like shooting a bow, and you keep your eye on it, and you throw that ball, that's how your pitch is going to be. And so late, at some point, I wasn't even a pitcher yet. This was in Little League. And I had made it to where I was such a good thrower that they uh, put me on the pitcher's mound, which I thought was a great honor until I got hit with the ball a few times. <laughs> and so you, you do a lot of these when you're, when you're playing baseball, and uh, I've been hitting the head with the ball from outfield. And so I said, you know what? I don't think baseball is for me. <laughs> couple, uh, couple knockouts and you're waking up and you're blacked out. You know, you know what? But Paul said, even though the, all the persecutions, I'm going to let nothing. And so even though like this is a temporary thing like baseball, but Paul's saying with my spiritual life when you get knocked down, nothing should stop you from obtaining that crown. And we, people like rewards. I, you, you know, I want to get to heaven and there would be reward. We, people like stuff. It's just, but, you know, God doesn't want stuff to have a hold on you here. He's saying lay that stuff up in heaven because that's where we're going to be for eternity. So that should be our focus. But let's talk a little bit about kind of the athletes and how they trained and this great claim and honor and respect that they got. The games, the Olympics in Greece started around 776 B.C., and they started doing every four years called Olympiads, which 
would be competitions, and they thought that the competitions would foster an excellence in society. Because you know how the Greeks, they were so smart and educated, and they were always coming up with ways to change society. So what they were doing, if we create healthy competitions for the people, music, poetry, um, and then the first real one was the 200-yard dash, this would create a competition between the people in society to where they would get better. People would get better at their trades. They'd get better at their musical talents. It also stopped a lot of wars. They'd be in the middle of a war, and everybody would stop and go to the Olympics. And so I think it was King Xerxes or somebody said, where is everybody going? And one article I was reading about the Olympics, and it didn't matter who it was or who was fighting, everybody wanted to go watch the Olympic Games. So at that, and you've heard that even in World War II, that I think it was the Americans and the Germans one night were playing, uh, was it like a soccer or something? Yeah, Christmas Eve. They all stopped fighting, played soccer, and, and had a good time, and ate and drank. And then the next day, once the Germans came back, they said, get back to fighting and start shooting. And Hitler said, what are you guys doing? They found out. And they started loving each other like brothers. They didn't want to fight anymore. And so the Olympics actually did that so much to where when Rome took Greece, they kept the Olympics going. It, got, it brought great wealth to the city, the, comp, the healthy competitions and games. But the Olympics started out of a pagan religion. And out of them giving um, just honor to the god Zeus and all their pagan gods. And so around uh, 300 A.D., 390, uh, Emperor Theodos I banned the games in order to promote Christianity. And he deemed the games equivalent to paganism and had done away with them. Uh, at the 1800s, the Gre- uh, Greece re- revived the games back. And then we've had the Olympics basically ever since. And so the Olympics started as a 200-yard dash, then overtime boxing, then they did chariot racing, they did mule racing, they did foot racing with a full suit of armor. And then once they won the smaller Olympics, these were the amateurs. Then the, the next phase was they would get into a bigger stadium and they would compete in a running, then jumping, wrestling, javelin throwing, and then they would hurl the disc and the end was a fighting match where the only thing that was banned was biting and eye gouging. <laughs> so, so a person had to be good in many different areas to win the overall Olympics. And so that was kind of their, uh, that would have been, I think that would be very fun to kind of watch. I would love to see people racing with a full suit of Roman armor and just trying to run around a track. So the chariot racing would be pr- pretty cool to watch too. I love to see those things sliding off and tipping and falling over, kind of like we see the, the car racing today. So that's where a lot of that came from. And, and Paul was a very educated man. Remember, he was of the Pharisees of Pharisees. He was in that society where he knew about these games. And he probably betted on a few of them himself before he became a Christian. And so when he was talking to the, the ch- these churches, th- he was saying, this is what I want to give you an analogy of how your spiritual walk with the Lord should be. He said, this is how hard I'm training to, to accomplish the will of God, to receive the crown of life. And so um, once the games, so Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, we all run a race, but only one receives the prize. Not everyone win- wins, but run that you may obtain. So I want to kind of read Um, I want to read what this word obtain means. Paul says it's not a private race, it's a public race. 
uh, he said that also a lot of the gods, or as I was reading, like Hercules and all these gods, you were treated like a god when you would win the Olympics. That's why it was a higher value than money. So I think a lot of these kind of these folk tales about Hercules came out of the Olympics, of these people who could do these, these unimaginable feats. And then every year, you, and we know this in society, it would get even uh, crazier where people would go even push the limits even further. And that's why they started calling them gods, like Greek gods, like Hercules and all these people. And so that was the kind of notoriety and acclaim you were going to get if you could achieve this. It was way worth higher than a royal uh, crown. This wreath was like an athletic crown because you couldn't get this by royal bloodline. You got this by hard, trained discipline and sacrifice. And so this is what Paul is saying. And so, um, let's see. He says, run in a way that you would obtain. He said, run like you're mad so you can finish first place. Running with all your might that this race would be in the forefront of your mind Finish the finish line, keeping your focus on the goal, obtaining the divine call, your life, trying to reach your God-given goals until you obtain what God has called you to do. So the Greek word for obtain is called, it's called uh, kata lambano. It describes something that's coming down. It means to take, to see something, to grab, to hold, to wrestle it, to pull it down, to finally make a desired object your very own. The attitude depicts a runner as he's running with all his energy straight forward, keeping his focus on the finish line until he reaches his goal. He approaches the race not with a ca- uh, casual or lazy attitude is the prize would go because the prize would go to another. But he ran that he would obtain the prize and that's, that's exactly what he did. So when so Rick Renner says are you just jogging for Jesus are you really serious? about fulfilling the call of God with, with devotion in your life. And so Paul is saying, he said, you have to run this race like you are mad, like you're going to win, you're, you're going to attain. It's a downward force. It's a, you're going to seize and take hold of it. I mean, if it costs you everything in your life, like these trainers, you're going to train and get it. And that's what he's saying. That's the attitude that I have to accomplishing the will of God with my own life. And so... I don't even think that um, most people even think like that. Paul said, I buffet my body. And this is just, he said, I train it like an athlete, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 7. He said, I fought the good fight of faith. And so in 2 Timothy 4, 6, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. At the time of my departure is at hand, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord righteous will judge. And he'll give it to me on that day. And not only to me, but all who have loved it, his appearing. And so Paul says, I finished my race. And this is what, that's what the, the race is what we're talking about is this is like an Olympic style race. This is a spiritual race that you are in. And so every person has their own race that they're running. And Paul's saying, I want you to have an attitude like an athlete that you're gonna obtain the prize for your race, that you wouldn't be lackadaisical and lazy about your walk with God. But you're going to put full effort, full energies. And I know as Americans, that's, that's hard to hear. You're going to have to be an Olympic athlete about the call of God on your life. You're going to get serious about what God's called you to do to obtain these crowns. I mean, you think the Olympics are hard. You think that Jesus is going to be any less? Oh, you did pretty good. Here you got to throw something to you. You get a participation trophy. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be like that. You think man's hard. I think there's going to be rewards, but I think the crowns is going to be another type of reward because it's going to be a whole other level of, uh, he said, of, of letting the flesh go 
accomplishing the will of God. And I've even thought in my own life after studying this, I need to get more serious about praying, reading, studying, digging in the word. What I mean, I'm definitely not a spiritual athlete. You, you cannot say my Bible time is like an Olympic athlete because it is not. And so that's what Paul's saying that I've, anybody, he said me, and I want to read this about Paul. Um, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three and 27. And I want to read this last thing about what he said. He said, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. He said, I'm more. Paul said, I'm more than them. And labor is more, abundant. He said, in stripes, above measure. Like I said, Rick Renner said he received 585 lashes to his back. Ripped the skin out of him. In prisons, more. Frequently, more frequently. He said, deaths often. I think Paul died and they raised him up and he walked back in the city and preached. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. So five times 40, I think. Plus he said there was three uh, lashes on the stripe. That's where he got the 580. Three times I was beaten with rods. That was a way that um, they would pull you up or hang you by your feet upside down. They would take metal rods and they would beat your legs until they were broken. Well, Paul got back up and went and preached and walked everywhere. I mean, the power of God infused him. The call of God was so powerful. I mean, you hit somebody one time here in America, they're out. They're done. Forget this mess. Somebody just, I was out preaching in, uh, in Russia, and somebody clocked me in the head with a pipe. I'm, out. I'm done with ministry. You know what I mean? That's just sometimes the attitude you can hear from people. Paul says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night. He was lost at sea. I mean, imagine that our walk with God has not gotten that bad. I was out preaching the gospel, and I was traveling across to Africa, and somehow the ship broke, and I was out at sea for a day and the night, just floating out with the sharks and the great whites. That hasn't happened to me yet, so I got a long way to go for persecution. For me, <laughs> He said, I was in pearls of robber. He got robbed preaching the gospel. Pearls of my own countrymen. That means his own people. His own, uh, Paul was a Roman citizen. The own, his own Romans hated him. That's when um, I believe that when they said that they vowed to take his life, that I forget how many men it was vowed they wouldn't eat until Paul was dead. Pearls and the Gentiles. So the other people hated him. Everybody hated Paul. I mean, talk about persecution. Pearls in the city. Pearls in the wilderness. Probably got attacked by a lion or something. I don't know. Pearls in the sea, pearls among false brethren, just false things against him, and weariness and toil and sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst and fastings and cold and nakedness. Keep going if there's any more. Besides the other things, what comes up upon me daily is what? I'm going to finish the call of God that he gave me for the churches. Nothing is going to stop me from, I mean, he's like an Olympic athlete for the Lord. I mean, he's getting beaten. He's being thrown to sea. He's being robbed. People are trying to kill him. And Paul said, one thing I'm going to do is my deep concern for the churches. Is there any more to this? And so nothing was going to stop. He said, I am going to lay hold and obtain for that which God has for me. He said, no matter what kind of hardships, he said, and then Paul was, I believe he was beheaded for what he did. And he said, what am I thinking about right now? He said, this crown of righteousness that's laid up for me. He said, I'm not, man, he, he's not crying, woe is me. They're treating me bad. 
I hate the Roman government. You know, my own brethren turned on me. He said, no, all this. He even told, um, I think it was uh, when he stood before King Agrippa, he said, I've been congratulating. One translation said, I think myself a happy man. But he says, the, the Amplified says, I've been congratulating myself since I've, been, since I've come. And he says, I've been thinking about I'm a happy person for what God has done in me. He was so happy through everything he went through. But he said nobody was going to take his crown. So Jesus must have shown him that there was a crown waiting for him. How did he know? How did he know to write about it? Because Jesus showed him. He had all the revelation of two-thirds of the New Testament or a third of the New Testament. And so I believe that God gave him a glimpse of eternal rewards, what was coming. And so no matter what we face in life, that be faithful to what God's called you to do. Find out what God's called you to do and run with it. You know, I wish I would have stepped into the call of uh, helping my father preach a long time ago, but I tried to run, and God's grace brought me back. And many of you probably were here on that time where I was kind of going to some other churches, and I was tired of the disrespect being the pastor's kid and people talking about me and blah, 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 blah. But what's more important? What did God call me to do? There's... Uh, Pastor Mark has a funny saying. He says, the dogs bark, but the train keeps rolling. People are always going to be saying something. And people are always going to bark. And someone's not going to be happy with you. But you're going to have to get excited about the call of God. Wake up, rejoice, say thank you, Lord. My deep concern for what you've called me to do. My deep concern for the churches and how people are growing. Lord, I want that crown of helping believers grow. I want a crown of life. I want a crown of righteousness. It makes you really, everything look so temporary, what we're going through. And so if anybody was persecuted, it was Paul. But yet, he said, I am so happy that I have a crown of righteousness awaiting for me. And that's what I'm looking forward to. And so I want to have that perspective is that the call of God in our lives should be taken serious. Church should be taken serious. Our love for the Bible should be taken serious. Pastor's been doing a great job on the word and, and the game plan. And when you get that ball, you got an adversary. He's coming after you and Satan's coming for you. But you got to hold tight to what God has given you in reading the word and studying the word because that's what's going to ultimately, that is your weapon against the enemy. And so he's done such a great job. If you didn't hear Wednesday night's message about the planets and the earth and how big God is, you should go back and listen to it. It was so awesome when, when Pastor took every Milky Way and the size of every planet, and then he says God holds it in his hand, and he's saying, you don't have any problems in life. God is way bigger than all of that, and we're thinking about a God of the universe. And so he's done such a great job, but I want to encourage us today that no matter, that, that go back, and uh, Rick Renner has in his book, Sparkling Gems, the first and second one, he talks about the five crowns. It is a cool thing to study. I wanted to know rewards. Years ago, I said, Lord, teach me about what's coming. Because I know this life is quick. It's going by fast. What's coming next? How do I prepare for what's coming? What do I, how do I get ready for when I stand before Jesus? What kind of rewards am I going to get? And how do I qualify for these rewards? And I think the Lord's really been showing me. I've been digging apart these scriptures. I want to know about all the crowns. I want to know about the rewards. Because that is our future. It says that this life will be a vapor and boom, it's gone. We're not even going to care about what happened on the earth. Yeah, right now we might be going through some rough times, but uh, compared to eternity and our life with Jesus, that's not even going to matter. And so this moment in the service, I want to just extend an altar call out that if you don't know Jesus, if you have never confessed him as Lord, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it says that if any person would confess Jesus with their mouth and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And that's a scripture that everybody should learn. It's an easy witness in scripture. 
that you were made from God, you came from God, but God has given you a free choice to come back to him. God is not gonna force you to come back to him. That God, it says he loved you so much, he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God said, if I gave you my only son, Jesus, why wouldn't I freely give you all things? And so the life of God is the best thing you can have because that's where you came from. That's where we ultimately came from. And so that he, he loves the world. He loves people. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. He loved Adam so much that even though Adam sinned, he said, I got to get him back. I'm going to send myself. Deity is going to lay deity aside, come down in the body of a human and die and pay the ultimate price so that God can have what? A family fellowship. And so if you're here this morning and you say, oh, well, I believe in God. Well, the Bible says Satan believes in God and he trembles. But Satan does not obey God. He's not Lord. So when a person says, Jesus, become my Lord, what they're saying is, now Jesus, you're responsible. You're master. I give you lordship like a king of kings. And so we're going to have our altar workers come up this time in the service. And if you come this morning and maybe you said, you know, I don't know if I'm doing the will of God. I don't even know if I'm right with God. This is why you're here. Come up to one of these gentlemen or one of these ladies and pray with them. This is why, we're, this is why we do what we do this morning. Eternity is a lot more serious than just what we have to do for the week. This is the most important part of our day, giving our first fruits to the Lord, coming before him. And so if you say, I don't even know if I'm qualifying to get a crown or if I know Jesus, I want you to come up this morning and pray with somebody and receive Jesus as Lord. If you say, maybe I, I need prayer for something else. I need, I'm hurting in my body. I got physical pain. Come up and get prayer. This is why we're here. It's not about a show. It's just about, it's, it's about people. It's about you. Like he said, it's about maturing people in God. And so don't ever feel ashamed for needing help, for wanting prayer. I get prayer all the time. When they, we have a guest speaker and they say, uh, if you want prayer and there's something I really feel like I need prayer, I'm gonna go get prayer. Somebody said in this church one time, uh, she said, if I ain't no fool, if God's given something for free, I'm going to go get it. And so don't ever feel like, oh, I can't walk up there. I don't want to be embarrassed. No. This is why we have people come up. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I got some adjustments in my life, let somebody pray with you and believe God. Touch forces and grab with you. And I'm going to go ahead and pray. And remember, we got prayer tonight. Father, we thank you for the service. Father, we thank you for that you love us so much that you have rewards for us. You're, you're, you're the great giver. You gave Jesus. You said, I would freely give you all other things. And you're gonna bless us for eternity. And we're gonna spend it with you. We thank you, Father, for a revelation of your word. Father, we, like Paul said, we condition ourselves like athletes to run the race of God for our own lives despite circumstances, despite hardships, despite anything that's happened in our lives. We're gonna keep pressing towards the mark. And I pray that there would be a fire like an Olympic-style athlete, that this church would get on fire and run its race, Lord. Get serious about the call of God like an athlete training. Get serious about the things of God. Get serious about people. Get serious about souls and get serious about lives being changed, Father. I pray that would get into us like Paul had, that no matter what, Paul said, I'm here for the churches. I'm gonna deliver the messages you've given me. I pray that over all of our people. I pray a fighting spirit of faith on them. An athletic spirit would get on them for training, their, running their spiritual race. That every person in this church would step into heaven and get rewards, get crowns, get achievements that would, be, would run through all eternity. 
We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com. From our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our SoundCloud, and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big give now button. Or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember, our pastor's vision is this. We grow Christians. So we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.